And the scripture this morning is actually the first part of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. And uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I'm giving you this day are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you are sitting at home and when you are walking down the road, when you lie down and when you rise. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts or door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, if you were with us uh, last week, Matt Scott had a very helpful illustration as we uh, come to this uh, time for the next four or five Sundays. And if not, let me uh, tell you what it was briefly. He had uh, was in taking a business class in undergraduate school and was assigned a group project. And it was a five-page paper. So uh, there were five in the group, so each of them wrote a different uh, page of the paper and put it all together with the predictable results. And so it didn't go very well, and it was disjointed, so... They came up with a better plan. So for the next assignment, they just had one person write all five pages. It was seamless. And they turned it in, I think, with great pride to the professor who reminded them that this was actuality a group project. Well, I think when we come together this morning, I want to remind you of what our group project is. Our group project is to join Jesus Christ in helping to make this world the kind of world God intended. To make this earth more like heaven. As, as Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, your, uh, your kingdom come. We want things to be on earth as they are in heaven. And Matt reminded us that that's a very important thing that we need to be doing. But he also reminded us that more important than that product was what he called the process. The intimacy that we would grow with God and with one another. Because, in fact, it doesn't matter how wonderful we make things on this earth, if we lose our relationship with God, we lose our relationship with one another, then things aren't really that wonderful. The intimacy uh, is as important as the project itself. Now, to what Matt said last week, I want to add one more thing, and that is... This fixing of the world, this making the world a better place to live, uh, making it more as God intended, that's a big job. And it will not be done overnight. And that is why, that is why the focus of the Bible is always on the next generation. The focus of the Bible is always on the children. Uh, one Hebrew scholar argues it this way, that you can save the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, that the main audience is the children. And look at the number of times it'll say when this happens to your children or when you gather together and your children ask. And the focus is on the next generation because it's, it's such a big job that we won't finish it. In this generation, each generation picks up their piece of the plan of helping this world become more as God intended. And in fact, the next generation not only becomes our purpose, but it also becomes the measure of how we have done as a people. Uh, Ray Vanderdon likes to remind us that a lot of people believe that Moses and, and, and the whole generation of Moses who died in the wilderness without ever making it to the promised land were failures. But Ray said that's not at all how uh, the people of the Hebrew faith would see it because they, they weren't failures because the next generation made it to the promised land. The measure of our success 
in this generation is how the next generation does. How do they fare in this world? How do they pick up the mantle that God has given them? How do they navigate the challenges that are coming that we can't even anticipate? That's the measure of who we are. Let me put it another way this morning. We, in this generation, are not about leaving an inheritance for our children so much as we are about leaving a legacy. For inheritance is typically about things on the outside, buildings and cars and maybe even diplomas or bank accounts. And those things simply don't last and they not only sometimes don't help you navigate the future, sometimes they actually hamper you in the future. But the legacy is the stuff that we leave that's on the inside that gets in the heart, uh, that helps us solve the future's problems that we can't even know at this moment, uh, being involved in a funeral from both sides now very recently, I want to tell you that in, among the family and in the funeral, nobody's talking about everything that dad or mom left us in terms of furniture or the house or the account. Typically what they talk to me about is I am this kind of person because of what she did. I do these things because that's how he lived. That, friends, is what we could call a legacy. It's about the next generation helping prepare them to navigate the future and to play their role in helping this earth become more like heaven. And I would argue that that Bible is very clear that that is our purpose. It's no wonder that Jesus stopped everything in the middle of his teaching so that the children could come and sit in his lap. He knew that that the measure of his life in ministry, even as the son of God, was how the next generations would fare. We can call that leaving a legacy, or let me put it in, in New Testament terms, we call that discipleship. When we raise up the people behind us to live the life that God has for them to live and making this world as God intended, we are making disciples. That is the legacy that we leave. Now, as we come to the, uh, uh, these four or five Sundays that we're talking about this, uh, that's basically what we want to talk about is how do we help shape the next generation? And the theory is that there are clues in the Shema that will help us do that. So last week, Matt introduced the Shema and the clue about that we start with loving God. And if we don't love God and, uh, and we don't love each other, then the whole, proce- the whole project's been a failure anyway. This week, I want to uh, remind us that it is about the heart, loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Because it seems to me there are two ways that we can raise our kids, maybe more, but at least two. One of them is to focus on the behaviors, the outside, the externals. And that's not unimportant. And so I have three sons. I can't tell you the number of times I had to say, don't hit your brother. Or it's time to get dressed and go to school. Do your homework. Tell the truth. There were a lot of positive things as well as negative correction that I would do with the the kids. And I think God believes in that. We not only have the Ten Commandments, actually in the Bible there are 613 commandments. So there was a lot of external behavior coaching that was going on. But sometimes that external behavior coaching has a limit if we don't uh, get why we are doing things. Let me give you a couple examples. My mother was a southern lady, through and through. And so when she raised me, I learned to say, please, 
I learned to say thank you. I learned to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. I learned how to open the door for other people to let them through. I learned how to get up out of my seat if there was a, a, a woman or there was a person uh, less physically able than I was to stand so that they would have a place. And that was all wonderful behaviors. And I still pretty much do them to this day. But what didn't get connected was why you do that. And so that you can open a door for a woman coming through, but you could still treat that woman as an object. You could let the elderly person sit in the place that you were sitting, but you could leave them lonely and alone and not visit them. I did not make the connection that you do these behaviors because other people are of intrinsic value and worth. That every person on this planet is created in the image of God and is worthy of respect and is worthy of love and is do those things. That would have been underneath the external to the internal. Or what I would say, going from the hands into the heart. Let me tell you another way. Sometimes our kids do exactly what we tell them to do, but without exactly knowing why, the whole purpose gets defeated. Years ago, I was uh, in a small church, and um, uh, my wife was at work, and I had uh, just two children at the time. The oldest one was about uh, five or six, and the, and the youngest one was uh, a baby taking a nap. And uh, so we were at home, and, uh, and, well, honestly, I was indisposed at the moment. And there came a knock on the door. One of the sweet little girls from our youth group wanted to drop something off for me. So I yelled to my five-year-old son, go get the door. Well, he does exactly that. And so he goes to the door, and and the sweet 12-year-old is there, and he says to Jenny, she says, is your dad home? And he says, yes, but he's on the pot. He did what I wanted him to do, but he missed something. And the connection, I don't know who was more traumatized, me or the 12-year-old girl. Years later, I got to do her wedding, so she obviously recovered. Um, but, but just to talk the behavior misses something so significant. I'm pretty convinced that most of the arguments Jesus had with religious people is not that they were wrong, but that they were focusing on the external and missing the heart, missing the internal part. God gives us, without question, the commandments. But the one thing in Jesus' day that every Jew would have said twice a day, at least, was the Shema, which is about love and about loving God with all your heart your soul, and your might. There are all these commandments to do, but God knew before that the key thing was that you need to know not only that you were loved deeply by a heavenly father who could be trusted, but that you were called on to love others in return. The most important things were on the inside, and they were then the motivation for uh, the outside. And I think that's where Jesus focused his efforts. When he would be in arguments with people, he would often go back to God's original intention to get on the inside, like marriage, for example. He would talk about what God really wanted, not what was legal, but what God really wanted in this practice. And and he would do that with the children. Uh, He always got back to the inside heart of the matter. Uh, Some years ago, I was uh, sitting in my study and uh, uh, one of our uh, former pastors came in to uh, talk with me. And he said to me, you know, David, if you croak tomorrow, did I mention he's one of our former pastors? Not, not really. But he said, if you die, if you croak tomorrow, he said, if you die and I do your funeral, this is the verse I'm going to read. He said, I'm going to read Proverbs 
Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And he's exactly right. If I could have a verse to sum up what I have learned about life, it's that, that life is lived inside out. That if we know that we are loved and we work on loving, that the behaviors and the actions will generally be appropriate if they flow from the inside of the heart. There's a lot of emphasis on best parenting practices, best practices for corporations, and they're not wrong. But apart from the inside, the the driving force, which is the heart, those things are relatively useless because one day you're going to run into a situation that has no precedent and that that you're not really clear how to respond. But if you have the right heart, you'll begin to figure it out. So our suggestion this week as we talk about how we raise the next generation is this, that we need to pay attention to the heart of our children. Help them know they are loved. Help them learn how to love. And don't just correct behavior and teach positive behavior, but talk about the whys behind it. In other words, we're going to fight not for good behavior. We're going to fight for their hearts. We're going to fight not with them about things. We're going to fight for them. When we correct them, we let them know that we correct them because this is we love them and this is the kind of future we want to have for them and we think God has for them. And we, we spend time, we spend time uh, working with them. I think what's very helpful is Brene Brown has an analogy that she says, when we're dealing with other people and there's conflict, she said, we need to be able to get on the same side of the table with them. And I think this is especially true of our children and those in the next generation. We need to let them know there are things we want for them, but it's because we are with them when we are on their side and patiently we need to work. With them on this. Now, granted, there'll be times, like if I have a three year old and he's in the middle of a busy thoroughfare, I'm not going to stop to explain why he needs to get out of the street. But for the most part, I can think how many times I rush through bedtime, I rush through bath time, I rush through discussions with, with hurry up, it's time to go to bed, or I don't have time for that, or because I said so, one after another without tending to the heart underneath. And letting them know why we're doing this or why we're not doing this is because of the love the Father has for you and because our Heavenly Father wants this kind of world for you and this kind of life for you. Now, having said that, I want to let you know something I just learned a few months ago, that in Hebrew, there is no word for blind obedience. That God always intended that they would obey, but they would understand and come to understand why they were obeying, why they are doing what they are doing. And that they would not only that, they would learn to take that principle and apply it in new and different situations in life. And that's been very helpful to me is to say it's not just important that the kids obey, but that we help them figure out why and what is going on. Let me make a few observations about that. As we close, the first one is this, as you probably already guessed, this is not going to be neat, tidy, or quick. To raise the next generation like that is going to be extremely messy. It means that we have to invest time probably when we least have time to invest. The bedtime question. The constant, well, why is that? Well, okay, but why? To spend the time and energy to let them know of our love and the Father's love that we're willing to work through them with these things. As you probably know, the Nobel uh, Prizes are being handed out these last couple weeks. 
And there was a, a, a Jewish man who won a Nobel Prize a few years ago. And they asked him about his life and what was formative. And he said this. He said, every day since kindergarten, when I went off to school, my mother never said to me, be careful or have a good day. Every day when I went out the door from kindergarten through high school, she always said the same thing to me. She said, ask good questions. Come to take it from here and the hands and stuff on the outside and take it on the inside. And I guarantee you this is a slow process. Second thing I would tell you is this. Nobody gets it right. Nobody. I love the Bible for many reasons, but one is because nearly every stinking family in the Bible is dysfunctional. Right? I mean, even Mary and Joseph have got some issues. Everyone's dysfunctional. Nobody gets it all right. Just whatever you do, as long as it's your best and it's aimed at the heart, it's probably going to be good. Brene Brown, again, has been helpful to me when she says, if I am tempted to criticize another person's parenting techniques... It is probably because I am uncertain of my own. There's no room to throw rocks at others or at ourselves. It's just to say, how can we fight for the heart? How can we try to get beneath the action to the next level? And it won't be easy, and nobody's done it very well. But we try that. And the third thing is this. You may be sitting there going, my kids are grown. It's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't have kids. The next generation is not just the children. It can be anyone who has not yet stepped up to the role that God has for them in making this earth a better place. Anybody hasn't stepped up to partner with Jesus, they're they're next up. You know, that's a big phrase that you always hear in the sports world. When some player is hurt, they always say, next man or next woman, who's going to step into place? Well, as we lose saints, who's the next one in? So it can be of anybody. Did you watch the Roosevelt thing on PBS? I thought it was really fascinating. Um, Especially Eleanor. You probably know Eleanor Roosevelt's story. Eleanor uh, idolized her dad who had very many problems and um, really didn't spend much time with her and died very early in her life. And then her mother did not think she was attractive and her mother did not really shower her with love or praise or fight very hard for her heart. And so there was Eleanor set adrift. But if you watch the special, you remember what happened is they sent her off to school. And there was a teacher and there were people at that school who saw the potential in Eleanor Roosevelt. And they began to call forth that potential from her. But it wasn't quite all the way there yet. So that when she got married, she just fell into the role of what a role that didn't fit her very well of trying to be mother and wife and in the backseat. And and she struggled. It was only when her illusion of what her marriage was came to an end that suddenly it looked like the shackles came off and she started to move into the role, a larger role that was being readied for her. And if you were attentive to that piece of the show, you'll remember that it wasn't just the teachers at the school, but there were a group of women starting in about 1925, 1926, several of them who began to hang out together and be mutual support and encouragement for one another, not the least of which they were encouraging for Eleanor. And she began to live into the life of That she had a life so much larger than the one that she was tempted to live. So we talk about next generation. We are certainly talking about the children. And that's what this church was created in 1910 for children. 
But we're also talking about the people who haven't yet stepped up. And they will need people like you and me who are willing to spend the time and energy and fight for their heart.